majesty and glory of your name. Eternal God, how glorious it is to sing your praises this day. This is the day which you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. A page never written upon in this life before. There is many ways that we can make this day and every day a better day. We ask you to help us find those ways. Help us to seek goodness and kindness in our lives and in our church. You are our God of grace, our God of glory. We are thankful that you shine your light on our way as we open our hearts and our minds to your greatness and your goodness. And we ask for forgiveness when sin causes us to fall short. We are thankful that you teach us and guide us away from sin. And may the song of the angels ring out in our lives. This day, after we leave this worship building and every day, Gloria and excelsis Dio, glory to God in the highest, we pray as our Savior taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you haven't noticed... Laura and I enjoy being married. (laughs) We look at our lives together and we appreciate our commitment to each other. It helps that we understand much more about life than we did in our younger years. We appreciate sharing life together. So my question is, what is life? That question has been asked since the first man walked upon this earth. These days, our culture, in our culture, the answer seems to be life on earth is everything and eternity is nothing. Some people believe the opposite, that life on earth is nothing and eternity is everything. Me, the answer is somewhere in the middle. Life is something. This is real, what we're going through. 
This life is preparing us for eternity. But in our culture, the life is everything crowd is the majority. They predominate. And it seems like there are two classifications of people that swell their ranks. The first group is the working and thinking group. They're very careful about their time. They're too busy with their time to even think about eternity. They don't have time to think about time. <laughs> I, I was part of that group for many years. The second group has too much time. They're busy wasting time. They think that time is forever. The second group of people have too much time to think about time. They think there will always be plenty of time. Both groups see themselves as practical people, but they view everything and anything outside of their activities as having little application in their lives. If it doesn't concern their lives here on earth, it doesn't have any value to them. Everything is about living in the thick of the rush of work or yielding to life's necessities and pleasures. They say that otherwise one doesn't live in the presence of what's real. They say that dreamers and poets don't produce. Is that what God says? No, God takes the opposite view. He said to the people of Israel, what did he say? Oh, that they were wise, that they would consider their latter end. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 29 King David, the man after God's own heart, said, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Psalm chapter 39, verse 4. The prayer of Moses that we can read in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, says these words. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wow, that's powerful. There is a reason God wants us to number our days so that we may be wise, so that we may gain wisdom. Thinking about time makes us wise. According to Scripture, time is the measurement of life. And yet so many people never consider time to be important compared to the interests in their lives until they have just a little bit of time remaining. <laughs> have you ever thought about all the metaphors in Scripture that Scripture uses for life? There's a list on the back of the bulletin that I compiled. The Bible has quite a few metaphors to answer the question, what is your life? The list has a, an amazing beauty, singularity in its approach. The beauty is couched in the suggestion of brevity, 
or evanescence. Evanescence is this quality of something fleeting that's here for a short while. I just want, I'll, I'll just mention a few. Our days are as a shadow in First Chronicles. A shadow rises suddenly and then it's gone. A shadow doesn't leave an impression. It's just a temporary outline. Our days are as a hand breath, breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H. Size of our hands, well, your hand isn't very long. Like the measure of our days. Compared to eternity, our lives are just like the length of of your hand. Life is like a vapor. So familiar from Pastor James. Here for a moment, then it passes away. And no book but the Bible could have described life as sleep. Really. Psalm chapter 90. Philosophers always use sleep to represent death. But the more profound meaning, meaning comes from the Bible. The years of life are like sleep. Death is like waking up. When you look at it from eternity's perspective, our little life is not the end. It's wise for us to consider what is beyond our dreams. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, life is described as water, agua. Water, when it is spilled on the ground, cannot be gathered up again. We cannot gather up our days and live them over again. The inexorable passing of time has given our days only one shot of activity we only have had one we only have one opportunity to learn God's ways and then our days get cast upon the eternal shores of bygone time we don't get to do them over again our lives are irrevocable when you've done it you you're complete you've done what you had the opportunity to do we can't undo what we've done When January 1 rolls around each year, we look back at the irrevocable year just completed. We finished it, and we can't change a thing. But even more, when January 2 comes, or when we're looking at January 2, we're uncertain about what is about to happen on January 2. Yes, More than irrevocable, January, too, is uncertain. And then like the grass, life grows in the morning. In the evening, it withers away. Psalm chapter 90, verse 6. Life is a little thing. It's short. It's irrevocable. It's uncertain. And there are not many people who understand what they should do with their lives. Take a survey and ask, what is it that you should do with your life? You'll get a lot of different answers. The truth is, is that there is only one source that has ever been able to tell the world what it needs. 
what it means to live a life for the highest purpose. One person chooses literature as a great purpose and chooses to surround himself with the best literary styles. He pursues what he believes to be a great life's work, using his pen to promote his beliefs. Another person becomes a man or woman of science and engineering. The next person becomes a businessman or a businesswoman. And a fourth man becomes a man of the world. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> what about the follower of Jesus? The one who claims Jesus as Lord and Master. That person may be a scientist or an engineer or a businesswoman, an author, a musician. But the follower of Jesus knows that a noble name in the eyes of God is not dependent upon what the world thinks of him. The follower of Jesus has discovered the same insight that King David understood. And no worldly philosopher has ever figured this out. The ideal life is this. A man or woman after God's heart who will do all his will. Great men and great women have great plans for their lives, but the greatest plan and the greatest life belongs to the person who follows God's will into eternity after all this world's work is done. The explanation of what God wants the human life to be is very simple. God simply wants a man after his own heart. The key to being a follower of Jesus who lives the greatest life in God's eyes is to be someone who will do all God's will. God's purpose for your life is for you to do his will. It's that simple. It's so simple that few people ever discover this truth. One person will tell you that the purpose of life is to be true. Another will tell you that the purpose of life, of life is to deny oneself. Another person, the next person says life's purpose is to keep the Ten Commandments. While another one points to the golden rule. One man says that his purpose is to do good. Another man says his purpose is to get good things. But life is more than all these things. Life includes them all. The purpose, the purpose of life is not to do good. It's not to get good. It's not even to be good. Rather, the purpose of life is to only do what God wills. It doesn't matter if you work or you wait. It doesn't matter whether you win or you lose. It doesn't matter if you suffer or you find success. It doesn't matter if you live or you die. It doesn't matter. We want God to see us as someone after his own heart.
And this, this gets kind of tough. Because we can feel so helpless before such a great and eternal truth. We need to sit like little children at God's feet. Allow him to teach us. We have seen his son as our model. We also have God's written word as our guide. The usual approach we hear is we are to emulate Jesus. Of course, if I could be like Jesus, I would live a great life. But that's like telling me to copy the works of Rembrandt, Michelangelo, Chopin. (laughs) It's not easy to copy a master. Yes, the Holy Spirit can empower me to live an ideal life. But it's not easy to copy the master. But the truth is, it's not mystical. It's something real. And thankfully, we have God's word to help us. We have the pages of scripture. And along with Jesus as our model, we can learn to make the most of our little, short, irrevocable lives. What does scripture tell us that we need to do to live an ideal life? To be like someone who lives after God's own heart. We note that God's word word gives us a reason for living. Why was I born? The ultimate purpose for my birth, for being here? The answer according to the author of Hebrews is, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, The objective of our lives is not happiness or success. It's not to be wealthy. It's not to be famous. It's not to be the best that we can be. It's not even to be honest. Instead, from the beginning of your life, your purpose, the purpose of your life was designed to do God's will. You may be teaching about God, you may be preaching about God, but is that God's will for your life? A person can be busy working for God, even if it's not God's will. On the other hand, a a person can be working at an ordinary job, yet all the while he or she is doing God's will. The truth is that God's will for your life is wrapped up in your everyday activities, common everyday activities. The world's approach is, I did it my way. Thank you, Frank, for the anti-scriptural view. The follower of Jesus says, not my way, but your way, your will be done, Lord God. The man after God's own heart says, I don't seek my way. I seek to do the will of God who sends me out to use me as his instrument, his ambassador. So first, God gives us a reason for living. Our purpose is to do his will. Second, God's word gives us the spiritual sustenance we need 
to live from the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus explained what those Ten Commandments actually meant. Jesus describes the spiritual strength we need to live like someone after God's own heart. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't it easy to find a lot of fun when the tourists aren't here, a lot of pleasure and excitement here in Central Florida? It's so easy to find so many fun things to do, activities to keep us busy. But all those activities cannot satisfy the God-sized hunger in your soul. It's inherent. When the, fun, when the fun is over, guess what? We're still hungry for God. The person who lives an ideal life, the person after God's own heart says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is Jesus speaking. He was our example. My food, what my sustenance, my reason for living is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And the ideal life needs a friend. That's what Jesus said. He can give to us. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus sees us as family. That is incredibly wonderful. He stands with us like a mother stands with her child. He supports us and cheers us like a brother or sister. In Jesus, we have the ideal friend. And anyone can have him if they choose him. But there is a couple more things at least that we need. The ideal life needs ideal conversation. We need to speak to our best friend. But the kind of conversation the ideal life needs has a higher name. Its name is prayer. And Jesus taught us what to say in our prayer. Jesus told us to say to our Father, Thy will be done. This prayer is not about resignation. It's not like saying, I might as well submit because God, you're going to get whatever you want anyway. That's not what it means. We're not saying this under protest. Thy will be done. It's an active statement. It's a cry for God to deal with your life and energize you to know what is God's best for your life. Give you the courage to step boldly. Grab hold of that plan that he has for your life. The ideal life wants what God wants. The ideal life is allowing God to do in your life what he knows is best. The ideal life doesn't want great riches. And of course, the ideal life doesn't want to just barely get by. What does scripture tell us the ideal life simply wants? The ideal life simply wants God's will to be done in your life. 
end. Then sometimes the peace of God is so good. Sometimes it passes all understanding. And our prayers don't seem to be enough because our joy seems to be beyond words. And when that happens, the words are too difficult to find. And the ideal life's prayer changes into praise. You're too, you become too full of God's peace. So your heart bursts into song as the joy overwhelms you. The peace that surpasses all understanding. The ideal life delights in God's law. I will meditate on your laws day and night. And you sing this out. Your joy overwhelms you, not for any pleasures that life can provide, but for how your life pleases God Almighty. The pleasures of this life are nothing in comparison to your delight in doing God's will for your life. As the psalmist wrote, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. The ideal life also needs an education. But something far more than learning a trade. I'm not talking about a trade. There's much more in life that we need to learn. We need to learn wisdom. We need to learn how to do good, how to trust, and how to love. But the ideal life has a much more deeper need than all of these. The ideal life says, not that one. Oh, that's not the verse I wanted. I missed that one. The ideal life says, teach me to do thy will. Yes. Psalm 143, verse 10. Yes. I don't know how that verse snuck in there. <laughs> I missed it. But in any case, God understands our human frailties. And if there's anything that we're lacking in this life, we have this promise. We read it once already at the beginning of this worship service. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked for. Notice that the prayer that is answered is the prayer that is given according to God's will. And the reason is clear. God's will is also what God wants. When a person does God's will, that person is doing what God wants. So simple. The man after God's own heart prays in a manner that reflects what God wants. 
God trusts the man or woman after his own heart. The ideal life knows that whatever is asked for will be in accordance with God's will. If it is asked, it is the will of God. Because we learn to understand what God wants for our lives. The man after God's own heart, the ideal life has come to do what God wants. And trust me, if you want to know God's particular will for your life, you will know it. Another sermon coming up. You will learn it if you're actively seeking. Just hold on. It's his timing. It's not your timing. You will know. Some people have to be in the wilderness for 40 years before they figure it out. Like Moses (laughs) and other people. (laughs) Well, before I end, there's one other thing that the ideal life has I want to mention. As we look to the future, we know that our lives are short, irrevocable, they are uncertain. We know that the cycle of life will bring an end to even the most ideal life. But in the riches of his creation and forethought, God has given us the promise of life everlasting. And this wonderful promise is found cover to cover through Scripture. This is a beautiful verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. He that does the will of God abides forever. May we learn to live our short, irrevocable, uncertain lives in a great and holy manner. And let us remember the solemn words spoken by Jesus, who lived the greatest life, the perfect life, the only one in every aspect, pleasing to his Father in heaven. As Jesus said as he closed out his Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you.